Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Fight Diggy, Tribe Called Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong, yeah. Hey, welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. My name is Cheryl, host and founder of the Come Up Show, and I am really excited about our guest today. He goes by the name of Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack from the Combat Jack episode. And there's a pretty good chance you already know his name because you're listening to a hip-hop podcast, and you know, he's one of the originators. He's been doing it for a while. But for those people who don't, if this is your first time of hearing the name, he first rose to prominence in our culture in the hip-hop industry as a lawyer where some of his clients were Jay-Z, DMX, and Sean Puffy Combs. I'm still calling him Puffy. But the more successful he became as a lawyer, the more unhappy he was. And which we'll talk about that in our conversation today. And fast forward to what he's doing today because he's done a lot of things. He is the co-founder of the Loudspeakers Network, which is a podcast network, home to 16 podcasts, including Brilliant Idiots by Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club, Tax Season, and we were all started the Combat Jack show, where he's over 130 episodes deep. He's interviewed people like J. Cole, Chuck D from The Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, Russell Simmons, and so much more. Combat Jack was just in Toronto a couple of weeks ago for Canadian Music Week, where I got to kick it with him. And we talked about the vibes that he gets from Toronto, following your intuition, and how you can gain a following in our noisy world. How you can build, whether it be your podcast your music, your photography, whatever you do. How do you get your self-respect and how do you get it noticed? How do you get noticed nowadays? So without further ado, I present Combat Jack on The Come Up Show. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. My name is Reggie Osei Internets. You're listening to Combat Jack from The Combat Jack Show, The Mighty Mighty Combat Jack Show podcast. And the Loudspeakers Network. And I have a little cold, so if I sound a little frail in the in the throat, don't worry, internet, I'm sturdy. You've been in Toronto a few times now. What is the general vibe that you get from the city, from Toronto, from Canadians in general? What what are the things that are different that you notice here from being in the States and Brooklyn and what's the sense you get? I love the fact that <clears throat> I have great friends in Toronto and Toronto's always been very, very, very welcoming. You know, shout out to um, Aaron Ashley. Shout out to Bear Gals. Shout out to Cardinal Official. Shout out to Manifesto. Shout out to you, man. Like every time I come here, I just my my circle of influence grows, and I just feel so welcome, man. And then, you know, coming from New York, being a New Yorker, coming here is like the the, the alternate New York. You know, it's it's metropolitan. Uh, you know, right now the music scene in Toronto is the most dominant force of the music scene in the entire planet. Um, so it's it's very cosmopolitan, but it's still laid back, man. You guys have things that we used to have. Like I went to a showcase last night and saw saw a rap artist performing, um, and it was just like like Keisha Fresh and shit. What's the other name of the group? I forget. Don't get mad at me. But you know, I just miss that those organic days when when hip hop was really very special and. I get, you know, it's from the outside looking in. I'm not saying that it is the case, but you guys still have a level of innocence 
and I don't even want to say it in a bad way, but naivete that I really appreciate. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in New York is so cynical. Like, New York has become so cynical. And New York fell off, man. So it's good to come to to And then the women are beautiful here. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 it's so diverse here. So I love everything about Toronto, mm-hmm. except except the fucking cold winters. But even then, I have good times. Is this the warmest that you've, you've been in? The, you know, it's May right now. So you haven't you haven't experienced Toronto summers, have you? No, I've been here um, twice in the winter. It's my first spring, which is very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to come down here for Carabana, man, and turn up. Mm. That's next level. Uh, let's go. Let's go back. Uh, you knew since high school that you wanted to be a creative. You yes. were accepted to Cornell Fine Arts program, but you saw the paycheck of your cousin who was working at a law firm, and he said, "I'm going to be a lawyer." And then you got accepted to Georgetown Law, and you instantly sensed that you made a mistake, like. How did you know? Take me to that moment. What is that feeling like when when your gut was telling you, like, I mean, this may not be the right choice? I mean, it's like if you, it's something that you're passionate about. Like, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about interviewing. So if you're, if you're passionate about interviewing, mm-hmm. right, and you want to make that your life, and then all of a sudden now, for whatever reason, you need to make money, you become a full-time clerk, you're going to know that that's not you. You don't need you don't need like a big dissertation, you know, in your gut that I hate this shit. I, you're looking at the clock. You can't wait to check out. Um, and it was the same thing, man. I mean, I, I learned a lot of valuable tools from law school, like in terms of like really focusing on people don't communicate very well. This is what I didn't know in law school. Like people don't communicate very well. For example, a lot of people will say, hey, I met Sally and we went over there with her. What's there over there and what's her? You know, so as an attorney, it just really pinpointed me, like getting the facts of even a sentence because we speak so carelessly in society. Um, But, yeah, I I just knew, man. And then the people, you know, I know, like I'm a club kid. I was a club kid, a New York City club kid in the 80s during the most glorious times of culture, not just rap culture, but like punk rock and and disco and house. I was a big house head. So leaving that environment and going to a, a, an environment where people were just fucking douchebags, man. Like, a lot of attorneys are just reptilian. Just like, you know, I'm going to get mine, fuck everybody else. And that wasn't my mindset. So I knew, but I was already in it. You know what I'm saying? I was already in Georgetown. Black kid, first-generation American by way of Haiti. Single parent. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm graduated from Cornell. Now I'm at Howard. I'm not going to squander that. You know, I'm still smart enough to know that even though I'm not doing something that comes natural to me, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know you're in the early days in the in the in the hip hop industry working with Diddy, Jay, and Dame Dash, and you said that the, the more successful you got, the more unhappy you got. How does how does that make sense? I mean, I mean, happiness is relative, man. Happiness is not based on material things. You know, happiness is really feeling. To me, the true sense of happiness is when you can wake up and you are really free. I mean, are we ever really free in society? I don't know, but it's levels of, of freedom, and you know. Um, so practicing law, number one, was effort. It would then come effortless. And, of course, I'm not saying that you don't have to put effort into your work or your craft, but it was hard work. It was like always climbing uphill. I was always uncertain. Um, and then I think when you're in a situation like that where you're handling high-stakes deals and high-stakes, just everything is high-stakes, you're going to make a mistake if you're not, if it's not you. You know what I'm saying? So the more successful, I mean, we didn't set out on being successful. We just set out on, on providing a service, particularly in the black community, black music community, and it was just so fortuitous around that time 
throughout the 90s that everybody that was in that environment, I didn't know. I mean, I worked with Damon Dash since he was like 19. Who knew? Like when he came in my office and started talking about Rockefeller this and Rockefeller that and Rockaway this, I was like, all right. Like you don't see it. You know, you just, you just your, it's your people's. But then when you go from shopping Jay-Z to like eight, nine, every label that existed in New York, and you're like, damn, brother, you're not going to make it. Like you just, you, and then all of a sudden now, you're the hottest MC in the world. Like, you don't expect that. Puff was. We'd be in the clubs, and Puff was a very hot club guy. He knew how. He knew how to bring excitement to the night scene in New York. But who knew that? Like the minute you heard Craig Mack flavoring your ear, like, oh, this is boy, where are we going? And I say we because yeah, it was where are you going? But this was our community. So where are we going? How how far are we taking this shit? You know. But at the same time. It wasn't a sense of jealousy, but it was a sense of sadness that the people close to me, like Damon, had their voices. Jay-Z had his voice. Diddy had his voice. And I didn't have a voice. And I knew I had some dope shit to say. Like, I knew back then, like, nigga, I'm fly, too. Like, I'm not just going to support you guys' dreams. I got some dreams. I don't know exactly what they are, but I'm, I'm some fly shit, too. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're doing what they love, and they're succeeding. And they're fly. They're not answering to anybody. And I, and, and I could do the same shit. Yeah. Uh, so you, when when did it? Uh, so the combat. You know, you're a blogger, and then it was the combat jack. Like radio, it was a radio show, like an online radio show, and then a transition to when did it transition into a podcast? Like how long ago was that? So we started as an online radio show in, in 2010, six years ago, mm-hmm. and then um, started out at PNC Radio Station, which is a small online radio show in Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. and then they had to do some construction, and I was like, yo. They said, take a four-week break, and then we'll be back. And so two things popped into my mind. Number one, this is internet time. And I'm old school. I'm from the brick-and-mortar age, but I'm smart enough to know, like, in, intimate, in, in internet time, nigga, you don't have four weeks to be out the picture. Four weeks, you might as well just, just nail the, you know, hammer the nails in the coffin. But then secondly, this is New York City. If the studio's undergoing renovation, there is no renovation in New York that takes four weeks. Four weeks and turns into two months. Two months turns into six months. So I was like, nope. I just got to find, I just got to continue to trust my gut and take my life and career in my own hands. So I did I did, this, I did the most simplest thing I could do. And I just put out on Twitter, like, the Combat Jack show needs a studio now. And then people responded, man. Like, when you when you request something of the universe, it sounds cliche, but the universe responds, particularly Twitter. When you put something on Twitter and you say that shit with conviction, Twitter will come through. So um, I'd already met this guy, Chris Morrow, who um, worked uh, syndication um, at the time at um, Premiere, which is now iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. He's doing a syndicated on for Breakfast Club. And he was also, this guy has a lot of jobs. He also is the ghostwriter for Russell Simmons. He loves radio, but he he just happened to be a listener of the show, and he loved it. And he was also like a podcast guy, which I didn't know anything about. So he's like, I got a studio. So all of a sudden, like two weeks later, the Combat Jack show was sneaking in after hours at Radio City into Rush Limbaugh and Ryan Seacrest's studio. So now we're like fucking, we go from like like amateur setup to like top of the line, like world-class studio. And that just brought a different level of confidence. We were able to bring in different levels of guests. Like, I think that's the first time we had RZA, um, Spike Lee. Like, the show just went to another level. And then six months later, the PNC was like, hey, 
We need you to come back. It's like, come back what? I'm not doing radio anymore. This is a podcast, bitch. And it's been it's been that right ever since, man. So that's the story. Shout out to Chris Morrow. And then, you know, he had the foresight. Even when it was just a Combat Jack show, he planted to see, like, let's bring in more shows. Let's create a network. So we had different shows. Uh, Premium Pete and Dallas Penn with Sneaker Fiends and Reality Check with uh, NY Delight and, and Jazz Fly. But then the show that really took off after hours was um, The Read. And they just kept going, and they're still going. Um, you know, podcasts are definitely becoming more popular. But back in 2010, 11, I don't know if they were to that level. Obviously, they're not not to now. Um, so, like, what what kept you going, man? When if maybe a few hundred people are listening or whatever, and you're maybe having doubts in your mind at that time, like, what kept you going? I didn't have doubts in my mind. No, you didn't. No, it okay. sounded. It felt like the most natural thing. Going, it was sounded right, and then you know just the validation um, from my peers. You know, every now and then I have issues with the guy for whatever reason. You know, everybody's different, but um, I think it was probably like my third or fourth show. We didn't even have a guest on the time. It was just me and Dallas Penn talking about the glories, glory stays of the '80s when you know we did cocaine and shit like that, which you shouldn't do right now, kids. It's only for the '80s. We did that, so hopefully you won't have to go through that. But I remember getting a DM from um, Elliot Wilson, and he was like, whatever you're doing, I don't really get it, but don't stop. And that was all the validation I needed, like a peer that I at least respected. And I was like, if my peers respect me, then I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. But you, you dug into deeper when people are saying, you're too old, you're not right for the millennial audience, uh, the shows are too long, your subject matter is not engaging, and he dug in deeper. Well, like, well you got to understand... Yeah. The, the, that necessarily, like, no one ever said to combat. To never one ever, no one ever said to me that what I'm doing I shouldn't be doing was because I was too old. It's like at times, though, when I t- tried to take the brand from, like, just podcasts and maybe video and, like, going to companies like Revolt, they were like, no, we only fuck with millennials. I was like, okay, well, let me just keep doing what I do. Um, we started out as a radio show, so we, we used to put in at least four hours. So trimming the show down to three hours and trimming the show down to two hours, I got more complaints, particularly when we did our TV deal with Complex. I got more complaints that we had the audacity to shorten the show as to keep it long. So we really never got complaints about that. Um, But even then, man, like I knew that as I was building, as much as people outside of my um, circle didn't understand podcasts, I knew that I was growing a loyal listenership that did understand us. That's really who I focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, stay in your lane, master your craft. That's what Chris Lighty said. Um, how do you know that you are in your lane, that you are on the right path? You know, because there's always, you know, I think the one thing is like knowing that you're on the right path and then you got to put in the work. That's another thing. But like the people who don't have direction or are trying to find out if they're doing the right thing or not. I mean, you know, so that was something, that was a very pivotal episode for me because um, this was in early 2015. The show was changing again. Uh, Just Blaze had left. We had to let Ben Hameen go because SoundCloud and their requirements for no music. Um, Dallas Penn left. Um, it was me and Premium Pete, and we were trying to figure out the direction of the show. And I remember having Jessica Rosenblum come on as a guest and not even knowing you know, the impact she would have, like, because I didn't know if she would resonate with my audience, and then she just did. But then the story she told about the word, the wise words that you just said from Chris Lighty, like, stay in your lane and master your lane, and I got it because at the time 
not only was the show going through a lot of changes, but we had just ended our deal with, with Complex. And I was looking at what other people were doing, and this person has Crown, and this person has this and that. So I was really spending my time trying to figure out what the next deal was. Like I, like I was addicted to a deal, like a TV deal. I got to get a TV deal. And in the meanwhile, you know, my core audience was like, your show sucks, or it's starting to suck. So when Jessica said that, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm jumping out, looking at everybody else's lane. I'm not in my lane. So I just do my, I, I, I keep saying this all the time, but my show's like a silo. I'm just like, I get in the silo and I just lock all the windows and I shut all the shutters down and all I see is the show. And I record the show, I put that shit out, look at the numbers a little bit, then go into my silo and look at the, so I just, you know, it's really just like locking yourself in and focusing, like. Stay in your lane, master your master your lane, master your lane, and that's that's that was some really great necessary advice that I needed at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know when you're jumping out your lane. You know when you're trying to do some shit that somebody else is doing. And you know, I should have learned back from the '90s when I did so many deals with so many capable producers, so many capable upcoming executives. But Puffy was so hot that everybody. 90% of those guys copied Puffy and followed his blueprint, and they're not in the game right now when they could have just stayed in their lane and mastered their craft. So I've seen it. In terms of inspiration, uh, Star from, you know, he was a hot 97 personality, Howard Stern, the people that you definitely look up to, and um, uh, tell me what, what, it is, what it is about those personalities that you really admire. Um, Charlemagne, um, uh, what I admire about him is I process, I think that I process information slow he processes things so quickly it's just amazing like like i wish i could process shit as quickly as Charlemagne. he's an amazing guy he's perfect he deserves all the accolades that he gets you know in tv and 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 radio and all media um howard i mean howard howard was he you know he he's the blueprint like he went against the mainstream and and now he's the mainstream you know and you know i wasn't into like early howard as much as i listened to his interviews and nine out of ten He's interviewing subjects that I give no fucks about, but then the interviews are so engaging, and it's like, I want to do that. Like, I know there are a lot of guests that I'm into, but I know there's a lot of guests that my audience might not be into. But if I'm able to take even the most mundane, quote-unquote mundane guest and make that shit fascinating to people who might not want to listen to that episode, then I'm doing my job. So that I credit to Howard Stern and Star. Star didn't give a fuck. Like, I give fucks, you know what I'm saying? I think that's, that's you know, I don't think it's a shortcoming. It's just my quality. I can't be Charlemagne. I can't be Howard. I can only be combat. But, yo, like, I just love the way Star gives no fucks that courage or that craziness. I don't know what it is, but, you know, and, and Star's another one. Very, very, very fast. Like, thinks very fast and responds very fast. And that's a quality I wish I had, that I could just take something and just be as witty on a dime like that, fast. Uh, the J. Cole interview was one of my favorite interviews. Like, you, you so honest. And um, um, you said you really, you, you didn't even really fuck with him or gave him the chance or maybe didn't listen to his music. I, I want to know what you think about where we're at right now with our culture. You saw hip-hop, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2016. Like, how do you feel? Like, are we in good hands? Well, let me clarify that. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a J. Cole fan. And I guess I wasn't even more so because my sons were such big J. Cole fans. So I remember I met J. Cole, and I was like, yo, my sons really fuck with you. And he was like, well, what about you? And I was like, ah, he caught me. You know, so I think we had that interaction. But then when I heard um, uh, Forest Hill Drive, 
That's a record by Forest Hill? Yes. And yeah. I saw him at a club, and I was like, yo, man, like, listen to the album. You got the voice of the generation right now. Because I thought it perfectly captured. We were on the cusp of Black Lives Matter at the time. Not that he was necessarily speaking about that as much as it sounded. It reminded me of the voice on the pulse, and I'm not comparing it internet. I know how you motherfuckers take shit out of context, but it reminded me slightly of Marvin Gaye when he dropped What's Going On, a perfect snapshot of that period of the time. I was like, my nigga, I didn't fuck with you before, but I definitely fuck with you right now, and he looked at me, like, I think. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he called me out of the blue, or his people called me out of the blue, they were like, we're in town. To-. They called me at 2 in the morning. Like, we're coming tomorrow to come on the Combat Jack show. I was like, Fuck. So, you know, I knew it was like, I think it was my honesty that resonated with his honesty. You know, I'm I'm sure he had enough fans calling him to be on their platforms, but this is somebody that just really became somebody that really respected your work. So I I wanted to clarify that, not that I wasn't fucking with, you know. Um, With regard to music, man, I love it, man. I love, I love, I mean, I love where you guys are at. You know, I love that you guys continue to push the envelope. I mean, all of it is not necessarily for me, but, you know, I'm loving Trap. I love, you know, I, w- I was very, very skeptical about Young Thug at, Thug at first, but just, you know, just the rhythms and the, the these 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 new breed of rappers really understanding how to transform their words or their vocals into another part of the, the, the musicality of, of music, you know? Um, I love that shit is wavier right now. Shit feels a lot calmer. Um, I love it, man. Like, you know, I would be a fool to say, ah, back in the day, son, nah, nah, I don't want to hear that. I did all of that shit. Like, niggas, you know, I love the fact that I'm not saying that things are perfect, but, I, you know, my kids, they, they you know, they I, I reared my sons to, to appreciate the Jay-Zs and the Biggies and the Nas, but, but they're like, yo, why were y'all niggas so violent back then? Like, why was shit just like coke talk this and, and guns that? So they really believe that hip-hop was like, pre-Kanye and post-Kanye, like, shit was all, like, gangster, and then all of a sudden Kanye changed it, which may or may not be true, but, um, I mean, I just love the wave. It's a wave. Music is a wave, and, you know, if you if you, if you're not staying on the wave, then you're old and you die. Why do we not really appreciate our OGs, though, compared I mean, to other genres? Who doesn't appreciate that? I mean, there's some people that don't, but then OGs don't appreciate the young cats, too. I think it's reciprocal. I think it's stupid that if you're talking to somebody that's benefiting on all the efforts made on other people's shoulders before you, regardless if you have a, if an, if you identify with Slick Rick or Ghostface or Dougie Fresh or you know Roxanne Shante, regardless if you identify them or not, it would behoove you to know your musical history, particularly if you're in the game. If you don't know your past, you really don't know your future. You might know the present, but you know, it's, at the end of the day, nothing is new under the sun. You know, we had our form of trap, we had our form of trippy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we did the same shit. It might have been different. It might have been packaged different. But you still got to go back to see what the blueprint is so that you know, like, who can you identify with? Who's, whose spirit are you channeling? You know what I'm saying? Like, where do you fit in in this ongoing mosaic that is hip-hop? You know? So I don't really know why. But then I, I would imagine, like, you know, there's always a generation gap. We didn't, we didn't appreciate. I, like, if you listen to, like, even musical guests like, Tribe Called Quest. Their forefathers were R&B, and they were like, fuck R&B. You know what I'm saying? So I guess it's just, you know, you if you're in a rebellious stage, you're trying to identify yourself, and then the OGs are trying to tell you what to do. So, I mean, that's a life, that's a life old issue that doesn't 
to center around, you know, hip hop. Of course, I think the power structure with regard to rock and roll, people grow older. You know, the white male population grows older with their revered legends, but they come into power and can continue to support and prop those up as the greatest ever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But still, you know, even the young kids growing up, they're like, I don't want to listen to the fucking Rolling Stones. I want to listen to my new shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you just said if you don't follow the waves, you die. Like, what what is it in you that, you know, being, you know, uh, an OG kind of, you know, um, that, you know, Snapchat is, you know, popping now. It's new social media tools, new technologies or whatever that allows you to adapt because uh, most people don't like change. We have to face it. But most, like, our brains are actually don't like change, like, we like routines and, you know, same habits and all that type of stuff. So, like, how do you make sure that you, like, what what are the, is there sometimes some barriers and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or I got to fucking do this. How, like, what's the thought process when it comes to new changes? I mean, I think I've always been intuitive. Like, even as a teenager where I would sense something that's changing. Like, I noticed a shift and I would want to be a part of it. So, I used to always want to be ahead of the curve. As I got older, I'm fortunate enough to be around teenagers so when my teenagers are talking about snapchat i'm like ah but then i hear everybody talking about snapchat like i call my shorty my 14 year old like yo walk me through this snapchat show me how to do it you know what i mean so it's just having access to the teenagers right there and then i think i'm always going to be perpetually immature in a good way man i'm just very immature and that like i'm always looking for new toys um new things to entertain me i'm a kid man and i think the wisest men wisest women the wisest of us, when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, that you still remain a kid at heart. Those are the real successes in life. Because so once you grow old, growing old means uh, you can age. You can definitely age. But growing old means the older you get, a piece of you dies. And, I'm, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my spirit wants to live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding about um, your thoughts and your thoughts becoming words and what you speak about becomes reality that you truly believe in that. And I think you use Biggie, Tupac and Jay-Z as an example of, of that. Can you expand on that? Damn, you really did your research, but you know, that's when, I mean, I'm a Buddhist, so mm-hmm. concept of Buddhist is, you know, everything is based on cause and effect. There's no effect that doesn't happen without a cause, but then just seeing it in real life, like, you know, growing up in a, in that era where Biggie, like his first album, which was so powerful and made a ripple in society and the music scene and entertainment in the universe was, I'm ready to die. He said to the fucking universe, I'm fucking ready to die. You know, Tupac, you know, glorified. Y'all niggas ain't getting five like me, you know what I'm saying? Like, he glorified getting shot at. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I died and I resurrected. And he put that shit out there so forcefully that, you know, when they died, I was like, fuck. Like, they really, regardless if they intentionally, consciously wanted a death wish or not, they spoke with a death wish mentality. And meanwhile, on the other side, Jay-Z, who was the least likely to succeed, was always talking about how, you know, he was about to be the, the best and the richest when everybody was, well, not everybody, but even within our team, it's like, nigga, you don't know if you're the hottest. I don't know how you're going to get all that shit. And he did it. Like, he affirmed, like, he proclaimed to the universe that he was going to be the best. People were going to com- consider him the best and he was going to be the richest and and he did it like Kanye I sat with Kanye years ago and I thought Kanye was you know a corny dude who had great beats and he was telling me in my face I'm going to be the best rapper and this and that and I was like all right, well nigga whatever but when he left the office like he spoke with such conviction his thoughts he believes that she's going to do it 
When you see somebody, I don't care what you think, man, if they looking at you and they believe that they're on the other side, you'd be a wise person to really fuck with them. Um, meeting all the people that you've met in the industry or whatever, I have this kind of theory that I've been thinking uh, that obviously social media is really important, that a lot of people should be out there. There's a lot of opportunities. But there's a lot of in- powerful people in our industry that like are making the behind the scenes, the, the guys that are making the moves. They're nowhere to be found on social media. Or if they're on social media, they're not really active. They have a few followers. W- would you agree with that? I mean, I mean, I know some people, particularly in my generation, it's not their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we come from an age where you, you know, most of us kept shit quiet. You don't, you know, real bad boys move in silence. And you know, the, the ugly side of social media is you got people spilling out their game plan. Like I've done that too, man. I'm, sometimes I'm so boastful, and like I said, immature, and I put out my game plan before my shit is so locked in. So I just think it's time, it's generation, and people's social media is not for everybody. You know, particularly, I mean, dude, there are times I'm on social media and I realize I just spent an hour on Twitter and I'm like, nigga, I have work to do, you know? And then, so, you know, some people are just a little bit more, a lot more disciplined and they really take their work serious. But a lot of people behind the scenes, that's such a high pressure job. Like they don't have time to be Mm -hmm. fucking around on Twitter talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, which one, you know, one got to go. You know what I mean? They don't have time for that bullshit. I'm just, like I said, I'm immature. So podcasts are definitely the wave right now. You know, people who are thinking of starting their own podcast, they've started their own podcast or blogs or whatever. And how noisy our world is, what would you, what advice would you give to those people who maybe they don't have a lot of listeners right now and they're kind of feeling disheartened? Don't feel disheartened. I mean, if you're being disheartened, you got to question why you're doing it. Like, like I said, I did it for two years with no no, no regards for. Um, listenership, numbers, money, whatever. I just did it because to me it was every week me and Dallas Penn and Premium and A-King and Ben Hameen and Matt Raz and, you know, Just Blaze, we were able to get together and this was like our man cave and we just happened to be recording this shit. So it was just fun and therapeutic, man. So, you know, really do it because you love it. Be honest. Talk about dangerous things that, what I mean? Don't make you feel safe. Like I talk talk about therapy and mental issue and and the whole nine mental issues. Um, just you get good first before you get good audience, man. Like you know, what I'm saying, don't worry about the audience. Don't put the the uh, the cart before the horse. You know, just focus on creating good content. And if you do great, create good content. I mean, who's to know what to say? Are you going to be the most popular podcast? Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to have a? I think the most important thing. If you have a core listener of 25 listeners. That fuck with you. Then you have the seed to build 50 and 500, you know what I'm saying? So find the pe- find your voice and find your tribe, man. Really, I, th- I would say find your tribe. Find people that's in your tribe, and then you'll be all right. To the people who have listened to this whole podcast uh, who are maybe new to you or and also fans as well, too, what, any last uh, words to close out the interview? Raise the bar. Like, regardless what you do, like, you see somebody else do some shit phenomenally, don't copy them, beat them. Beat yourself. Like, if you had a phenomenal Tuesday, have a fucking awesome Wednesday, and then fucking Thursday, kick Wednesday in the nuts. You know what I'm saying? Raise the bar, don't sleep. That That's part of, that's also part of not growing old, is always testing yourself, always pushing yourself to raise the bar. I mean, you know what your bar is. My bar is not your bar. You know what I'm saying? Her bar is not your bar. You know what your bar is. Raise that shit every day. Be better than you were yesterday. Compete against yourself. 
Stay in your lane and master your lane and internets. I need you to close this interview with your closing intro that you do on the Combat Jack. Please and thank you. You know what it is. Dream those dreams and then glow up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Bow. Internets. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and my interview with Combat Jack. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And if you want to get emails from me once a week, I got an email newsletter that I send out every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe. The link is in the description of this podcast. And next week, we got another big guest. I'll give you a hint. He's from Detroit. And if you can guess who that is, make sure you tweet me at The Come Up Show and let me know. Let's see if you get it right. Thank you very much for your time, your attention, and continue listening to The Come Up Show podcast and everybody who supports. And please, if you're listening on SoundCloud, repost this. We need your love. Peace. Peace.